you know, so, so it's, it's, it's bringing it back to personal responsibility, you know, as a, as a human being, um, you know, the golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated, you know, um, you know, learning what mercy is, learning what compassion is and, and, and embracing these things, these concepts. And I get it. You know, I get it that I have a family now, you know, I'm watchful as to what community I'm, I'm, I'm living in my neighborhood. I, you know, I don't want to put my family in, in jeopardy and, and, and go down to like the middle of Stockton or, 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 you know, the, the craziest part in Oakland. I don't want to live in those places because I have a young son. I have a wife, you know, I want to take care of my family. I want to make sure my family's safe. I get it. This is Jen Slumack. You're listening to Just Say It, a show that aims to highlight the commonplaces among us, as each is an other by definition. To collapse these constructs is to move toward Dr. King's beloved community. This week is part two of a conversation with Hector James, founder and creator of the Reentry Faith Initiative. In part one, Hector shares his journey from heavy drinking and recovery to volunteering in prison ministry. In episode two, we will begin to learn about the how and why of his initiative. This is part two of three. I give you Hector James. I think, um, you know, I've shared with you, I feel like I'm stuck in the middle of these two worlds, you know what I mean? And, And a lot of times they're like this, but, you know, you know, God's allowed me to understand that there's no, I mean, there is a bumping heads, but I'm in the middle trying to, you know, mediate that. You know, you know, my position is almost like a mediator, yeah. you know, and so, and so, um, yeah, you know, there's a lot of faults, but I think, I think we're, you know, on both sides, you know what I mean? We're, you know, we're three sides or four sides, you know, whatever side it is, we could all just like work at coming together, you know what I mean? And I know there's still going to be drama and there's still going to be issues and there's still going to be separation and there's still going to be division. You know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not this like fairy tale type, you know, theologian. You know, I'm, I'm like, let's keep it real. We're still going to have issues. Sure. You know? But it's just if I can reach or if we can reach just a few of them, you know what I mean, and just, you know, bring hope to somebody, hey, you know, our, our days are going to be better. Well, and, and I appreciate that. And one of the things that I love about us and the talks that we get to have and, and the fact that we work alongside each other is that we've both had very different experiences, but we've got so much in common and we've been able to find that which is in common and operate from that place. And um, I can't fault the older I get and the longer I'm on this planet, the more I've grown up. I can't fault the church uh, with a blanket statement for uh, how it has misunderstood some of what I think it needs to do any more than I can fault uh, the public for falling away from the church for its misunderstanding. You know, I think there's a common misconception. In order to go to church, you got to be good before you get there. Oh yeah, no. you gotta, you gotta be. You, you don't want to walk. It's like disrespectful to walk into God's house doing some of the stuff that 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 you're doing or having done some of the things that you've done. Um, and so, I I appreciate the approach. Uh, of a lot of the folks that I've met through you who are in the church, who are, um, that have sort of backgrounds that inform their ministry. It's, it's sort of like recovery, right? Like you, yeah, you get a, a sponsor, you get friends, 
who have had the same experience or very similar experience that you've had so that there's no talking down to anybody, man. We're sitting side by side and we are, uh, you know, sharing our experience. And yeah. once you believe that I know what I'm talking about, it's not hard to recognize when we share our stories with each other, right? Yeah. What I have in common with somebody. Once we can recognize it and identify with another human being, then we do open a little bit, right? Like this is, a, this is, spiritual life is a door that opens inward. You know, I've got to pull it open. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, and it's it's um, personal responsibility, personal accountability, you know, and, and, and I have to take responsibility for, for what I choose to do, you know, and, and, and that's the empowerment. You know, that's the empowering idea or, or you know, the choice, the choice of, of opening up the door and stepping out of my comfort zone or, or, you know, opening up the window and allowing something, you know, fresh to come in, you know, just, just daring and understanding, first of all, that I have the choice. How do you teach somebody if they have a choice? Because so many folks are just like, no, no, you don't understand. I don't get a choice. This happens to me. This is because of the society. It's because of the way that things are. I didn't have a choice. Where yeah. I am beneath your boot is where I'm supposed to be and F you. How do yeah. you teach someone that is in this predicament that choice is in fact theirs? How do you do that? So, so like if, if I just got cussed out, you know, <laughs> that uncensored F you, boom, in, in, in the prison, right? Right away, the first thing, you know, that I always come back to is, so do I have a choice in the way that I respond to you right now? Do I have a choice in the way that I respond to you cussing me out right now? But what if it was somebody who has no right talking to me that way? What if I didn't do anything? What if somebody is completely just in their, in their power? Do I have a choice? You always have because a I'm choice. Justified. Yeah. So, so I, you know what I've heard a lot, Hey, brother Hector, I, you know, I get it, man. I get it, but I'm in prison. I have to do what I have to do. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's prison. I have to survive, Brother Hector, you know, and I don't agree with it. And, and, and I ask for God, you know, to forgive me every day. You know, and we're talking about politics. We're talking about drugs. We're talking about all this stuff that happens in prison. And, um, and the way I let them know is, is, is the truth. So the truth is you always have a choice, even if that implies dying. We have a choice on to which way we want to die. I have a choice into which way, I, you know, into how I want to leave a testimony of my story here on this earth. I choose. I have a choice as to what what message I'm gonna I'm gonna live out every day. So if I'm true to my conviction, if I'm true to my God who saved me, if I'm true to my faith, and I'm true to in believing that that after this life I'll be with Him, but it requires of me certain things in this life. You know, I have a choice as to what I'm going to do. And, 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 you know, am I willing to go through a hard moment to, to live in my conviction? Now, a lot of, that's hard for a lot of people. That's hard for a lot of people, you know, and that's the, and that's the hard truth. And, and, you know, but when somebody's that in that moment, I think, I think the best thing to do is just give them, 
you know, the truth and the, and the reality of it, because you, at the end of the day, they're going to choose to continue or not, you know, and, and, and I've heard, I've heard stories of, of inmates who have taken the choice of not, of not bowing down to the politics in the prison and, um, and, and their lives been threatened and, um, and, you know, they still move forward, you know, and, and, you know, they were willing to give their life for another cause, but now, um, in, in, in faith, they're willing to give their, their life for faith now, you know, for, you know, for their faith. So it's just a shift of, of the way they, um, they understand, uh, what their faith is, you know, and, and, um, it's not, it's not like willing to take somebody's life because of your faith, but is willing, is the willingness to give up your life for your faith. And, and that's a true teaching. That's a biblical teaching. And um and a lot of people don't understand that. A lot of people, you, you know, uh, they don't get it, and they don't have the opportunity to actually experience that. Because out here, we can do pretty much anything and everything, and respond to whatever you know situation the way I want to respond. And they, they, nobody gonna take my life for me. Maybe like a, you know, a, a certain lifestyles like gang lifestyle. If I respond a certain way, yeah, my life's in danger. So how does that change now that we're coming in faith and you really that you know, are you willing to still give up your life? for a higher cause. And then, I mean, it really, it's a message that, that is clearly heard with the population that I'm called to, you know, with inmates, because I mean, every day you're risking your life. So, so, you know, you know, life and death, you know, it's, it's, it's right there in front of you every day. And, you know, but that choice of having that choice of how I'm going to live and how I'm going to die. Powerful, powerful, you know, and you've and you've seen that choice and in, in illustrating that choice to people. You've seen that shift, folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and I've I've seen it not. I've seen it not shift, folks. Yeah, keep it real, <laughs> and, right? <laughs> you know, I've, I've seen it not, and the majority not. You know, they're back in the hole. You know, they get sent back to the hole. They get you know. And so what is the hole for our non-prison oh. language folks? What is the hole? Solitary confinement. Yeah. Yeah. So it depends on, uh, on what they, you know, the, the consequence or the punishment, but um, you know, that's a, that's a form of punishment in prison. You get sent to the hole, you get sent to solitary confinement for, you know, 10 days, 20 days, 30 days, you know, how, uh, they're, they're, they're starting to take it away, but um, you know, they're starting to like, you know, uh, um, uh, do punishment different, but yeah, that's, that's what the hole is, you know? So. so let me ask you a question that takes us back a little bit to outside of the, the prison. Uh, back into the community, but prior to the arrest, prior mm-hmm. to uh, prejudication, before sentencing and such. So we have stigma, we know that, and you and I speak a lot about um, restoring people. We mm-hmm. talk a lot about uh, being hope dealers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but some folks might say, I'm sorry that people are treated that way in prison. I'm sorry it's difficult in prison, but they shouldn't have committed the crimes. Yeah. So why are people uh, committing the kinds of crimes that get them sent to prison in the first place? Why, why should I, in my community, be open to having a transitional home or a, or a, a re-entry center or something where these people are returning my home? Why shouldn't I be afraid? Why should I have compassion for somebody who chose to hurt somebody or who yeah. chose to steal from somebody? So, so tell me a little bit about that, if you can. So not having compassion or not having mercy or not having love towards these people is not a reflection of those people that committed the crimes. It's a reflection of who I am. 
That makes sense. So is, is, if that person has compassion or not compassion, that's a reflection on, on that person. You know, so, so it's, it's, it's bringing it back to personal responsibility. You know, as a, as a human being, um, you know, the golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated. You know, um, you know, learning what mercy is, learning what compassion is, and, and, and embracing these things, these concepts. And I get it. You know, I get it that I have a family now. You know, I'm watchful as to what community I'm, I'm, I'm living in, my neighborhood. I, you know, I don't want to put my family in, in jeopardy and, and, and go down to, like, the middle of Stockton or, or, or you know, the, the craziest part in Oakland. I don't want to live in those places because I have a young son. I have a wife. You know, I want to take care of my family. I want to make sure my family's safe. I get it. You know, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's uh, once I'm, I'm in a, an environment where I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm okay, what am I doing to help those that are not okay? You know, what am I doing to help those families that are broken? You know, uh, so what am I doing? So if they ask me, Hector, would you be open to having a transitional home um, next to your house? Right? Well, let's talk about that. How is it going to be run? Who's going to run it? Is there going to be supervision? Is there going to be cameras? What types of consequences is there? You know, it's not, you know, like a right away shutdown. You know, yeah, well, I'm open to it, but let's talk about it. How are we going to set this up? Because all of a sudden you're bringing in something into my neighborhood, into, into, into my backyard, and I need to know, I need to be informed, and I need to be part of this. You know, and, and, and being part of it, I think, is the biggest, is the biggest, um, is the biggest thing that as community members we can do is be active in our neighborhoods. And I think because of society and culture, we take that step, that step backwards and we disengage from what's happening. So, so I, you know, we disengage, but I think it's the response has to be the opposite. We have to engage. We have to, you know, be proactive. We have to learn about what's happening in our communities. We have to, you know, be active. You know, I, I, you, you need a volunteer to, you know, you know, come in and speak to the people at this transitional. You know, do you need a volunteer? Do you need, um, you know, um, anything that I can do to, you know, help run that home? Because in me running it, I'm going to have a lot more, a lot more um, um, ability to influence the environment in that home. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just some people don't feel called to it. You know, some people don't feel called to it, but I, I'd rather not be engaged and allow allow it to happen however other people think it should run, or or, or should I take a, 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 a step forward and volunteer? I, I appreciate that, and I think, um, you know, we live in a culture of fear. Mm -hmm. We live in a culture in, of fear. We live in a culture of lack. Um, we're sort of socialized to be afraid. And we're socialized to feel like we need more than we do. And we're socialized to um, categorize people mm -hmm. and forget that they're attached to families and histories and fear themselves, right? So, so what I, um, here's a simple example, but um, as a teacher, one of the classroom management techniques 
of maintaining order and structure in the classroom is when you have somebody who's particularly uh, distracting, particularly, uh, you know, a nuisance, so to speak, in the class, just causing disruption consistently. One of the simplest tactics to sort of maintain control in that environment yeah. is to go closer. It's called mm -hmm. just proximity. Just move in and be closer because a lot of times in the human experience and when we understand how the human being works, a lot of times the noisiest person, the most uh, outrageous individual in behavior is seeking connection. Yeah. I it's agree. seeking connection desperately, right? Yeah. Uh, those who are the hardest to love are sometimes the ones who need it the most. We've heard that. But like this is really putting that into practice and yeah. really recognizing that we learn how to love in relationship. And so the thing that we most fear, the thing that most frightens us is a thing that we need to find the courage to move in and get to know get closer and touch it instead of, uh, you know, making, making sense of it through a narrative that's not informed. Well, that's how you break stigma, right? Yeah. So, so the reentry faith initiative, um, the easiest way to explain it is in those three main parts that it, um, uh, we decided to break it down into. So it's three main points that we want to, um, uh, work on. Uh, the first one is to build awareness, you know, to bring awareness of the whole issue of incarceration and the and the impact of incarceration. So we were talking about it um, our our last meeting, you know, uh, on the average, let's say seven to eight people are impacted by every one individual that's that's arrested or that's in custody right now in the United States. Uh, a figure that was thrown out, I think, 2014, 2015, was 2.5 million. Uh, people were incarcerated here in the U.S. So uh, we did the math and we figured that over 8 million people uh, are impacted directly by incarceration here, you know, and um, and um, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. Um, and those are people, that number, and, and, and uh, uh, the number's a little weird because we figured from the people that are identifying as Protestant, Christian, Protestant, um, evangelical, um, they were about 50% of the population. So, so the 2.5 million drops down to a million, million point two, a million point two multiplied by eight people is about 8 million, 9 million people that are impacted within the faith community itself. So, so, you know, bringing awareness to that number, to that issue that we're not talking, okay, church, we're not talking about outside people we're talking about people that have identified as being part of us uh, you know the bible talks about uh, you know us being connected like a body you know uh, all of us have have different functions in the body but we're all one body so imagining that part of me is locked up part of me is is hurt by having a family member locked up i can't function properly until that heals so as a church, that's why a lot of brokenness within the church, because a lot of church is, is hurt. So anyways, bringing awareness is the first main in, uh, part to this initiative is bringing awareness to the need, to the numbers, to the impact of incarceration in general. Bringing awareness within the church, but also within the, church. the community, yeah? 
Yeah, yeah, but it begins in the church. Sure. It begins within the faith community because a lot of it has to become so personal. You know, in order for me to care about something, I have to see how it relates to me. Join us next week for the conclusion of this conversation as Hector continues to outline the complex work of welcoming people home. I am Jen Slumack, and you can learn more about me and the work I do at www.soulnotskin.com. I'd love to hear from you. Take care. Thank you.